1: Welcome, everyone, back to another edition of Big Blue Banter, the Giants podcast. Here with myself, Dan Schneier, and Nick Turchin, who we're going to jump to in a minute. Um, obviously, we got a lot to talk about today as the Giants finally, finally eclipse the thirty-point mark. Oh, they didn't get the thirty-one because Marshall Cohn was in the game and he missed a uh, extra point. He won't be on the team and. In September anyway, but they did get to the thirty point mark for the first time since twenty fifteen. I know it's a preseason game, but you gotta be excited when you see the execution on offense, regardless of when it is, especially considering the Giants' struggles throughout the preseason in the past two years. And you gotta be excited about what you saw in the run game. From the run blocking standpoint, the running backs have been a lot on their own. Uh, but today we're going to dive into a lot more than just that. We're going to talk about the key te- takeaways from the Giants' 30-17 to win against the Detroit Lions. And we're going to jump into a little bit of a deeper dive with a question that Nick was asked on Twitter. And I actually wanted to dive a little bit more into it. And he, he, he dove into it when we, when we discussed it before the podcast. I can't wait to hear him on this. Um, I think you guys will love that. It's about, it's about Pat Shermer's play calling. And we'll do a little rapid fire with some other key takeaways from the game. And then kind of conclude this podcast with a little bit of a preview. The Jets-Giants game later this week, the pre- uh, preseason third game, the, dress, uh, the regular season dress rehearsal. Um, we're going to do another podcast on that later this week. But how are you doing today, Nick?
2: Doing real good. Doing really a lot of film work in the last few days. A lot, a lot of Giants film work. <laughs> good.
1: Good. I mean, now we finally have something to do it on. Like, obviously, there was the first preseason game against the Browns. But it's like, that game, as we talked about, there was not really much game planning for that game. But, you know, at practice today, after practice, Pat Schirmer actually said... I'm pretty much, like, people asked him kind of a question similar, you know, about the play calling and the game planning for the preseason. He's like, I'm putting in the run plays in the preseason that I'm going to be using during the regular season. He didn't say the same thing about the passing game, so I actually think we're going to see a lot of different looks in the passing game in week one than we saw this preseason. And, that we, and then we will see even next week, or even this week against the Jets, but the run game is going to look a lot like we've seen it now these past two weeks. Uh, but before we dive into that, I wanted to talk about the Giants' run defense, which was Quite frankly, dominant again for a second straight week in the preseason. At this point, the run defense is becoming clearly, 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 in my opinion, the strength of this defense. Um, So just a week ago, the Giants held the Browns to one and a half yards per carry the whole game. Um, And then in this game against the Lions, the first team run defense allowed just 17 rushing yards and 12 carries. Uh, I believe that was actually the first half rushing defense. And over the past two preseason weeks, first two preseason games, Um, The Giants' run defense has only allowed nineteen. The Giants' first team run defense, I should say, has only allowed nineteen rushing yards on twenty-eight total defensive snaps from that first team defense. Lions sixty-seven rushing yards on twenty-two carries for the game. Just three yards per carry. Most of the damage came in the final quarter uh, when the Giants had to turn to their third team run defense. So, I mean, Nick, to me, I know I've been harping on this in pretty much every podcast, but. I said I'm no, no, no more confident in anything this season than that the Giants' run defense is going to return to their 2016 form as one of the most dominant run defense in the NFL. And you look at why it's not rocket science. They added a ton of talent to the front seven this offseason. That was the, really the focus for Gettleman. Sure, he went out, he got Nate Solder, he got Patrick O'Manmé, he drafted Will Hernandez, he's drafted Saquon Barkley. But the front seven was clearly the focus. And I wanted to know, Nick, if you think this is going to kind of be just something we see in the preseason – or you know, can this dominant run defense translate to the regular season? Uh,
2: no, it's definitely going to translate. It's going to continue on. It's a big part of what Betcher preached last in the last few years at Arizona. If you look at the stats um, for uh, at Football Outsiders uh, for DVOA for both lines of or the first two tiers of the of their defense, the Arizona defense last year, both were very good DVOA wise against the run, and that kind of usually doesn't happen because the way they have to. Great at numerically, if you think about it, there's only three down linemen and four linebackers, so usually one of those sides is kind of skewed in the number. And both both lines, both first and second tier, were were very good there. And it's you know I think it's personnel, but it's also combined with um, the two lines that they're going to rotate and additions of guys like just like you said, like B.J. Hill at the five tech that's a that's a real good spot for him and that's almost like another anchor almost like another nose tackle on that side on the strong side of the line that's a big deal so in base their base defense is going to be very strong against the run
1: yeah and you mentioned the rotation you mentioned that and that's definitely going to help them you mentioned the fact that betcher has had previous success i mean he's had three seasons with arizona he's never fielded a run defense outside of the top 10 or top, top top nine i believe um that's each of the last three seasons and I, I have a quick question on this for you, Nick, because to me it seems like it's partly. You, you mentioned the rotation, obviously, and the talent up front. Guys like BJ Hill really fit in. BJ Hill's been outstanding, really, throughout training camp and the preseason. But um, how about the scheme? Because you know this is a scheme that attacks the gaps, and it's almost like they're like running a run blitz on almost every down. It, right. it seems like to me. Is that accurate?
2: Yeah, no. That uh, you know, everyone's getting downhill to their gaps. There's. It's a very clear read. To start off, but this is really the case with all one gap schemes. Uh, Betcher's not super differentiated, other than I would say like his motivational side of things, and just the guy loves it, and you can see the players responding. You saw uh, the game when you know anyone's making any play in terms of a tackle, he's jumping up and down the sidelines. It's a completely different attitude. I mean, I again not to constantly compare to Spags, but it's just it's a it's a different attitude this year, and there's there's a. There's a, there's a reward for getting in the backfield, and that's what these right. guys want to do. Before runners get downhill, they want to hit them basically and get them stopped.
1: Yeah, they're having fun out there. And we'll touch on the pressure soon because, you know, I saw constant pressure. I saw constant giant defenders in the backfield all game with those first and second team defenses. But I want to focus on Olivier Vernon for a second because he's a guy who, you know, I said earlier this season, I'm going to say it again, is my breakout pick because he just fits this defensive scheme so well. And he's going to see more one on one matchups than he's ever seen with the Giants. And it showed, you know, in the preseason game against the Lions, he didn't play much. He only had nine snaps as a pass rusher. and was only on the field for, I believe, 17. Um, and, and despite the, that fact, in those nine snaps, he had, on three of them, he had pressures. He had two pressures on the quarterback and then one sack, which is really just an incredible sack. I've had to rewatch it a few times. I couldn't believe how he got through there. It was an awesome inside move and just beat multiple defenders on that. Uh, multiple offensive line, I mean, on that one who were trying to prevent him from coming to the quarterback. What have you seen from from uh, Vernon? And is this just a, a situation where, listen, he can really? I'm not going to say he's going to add Chandler Jones' season that he had last year with a breakout season with James Betcher, but can it can it kind of mimic that one, or can it kind of follow in those footsteps?
2: Yeah, a little bit, I think, because and I think I wrote about this in one of the Betcher previews that I did for cover one.net But yeah, it what ends up happening is like the more you let these guys go downhill and get after the quarterback, they can use more of their moves against. Both sides of the line, or, wh- or however they want to, wherever they can be put, to to best, you know, kind of uh, you know play to their strengths, basically. And so what you see when, when you're doing more of that and less overall other types of pass rush or moving around the line a lot or waiting for delayed blitzes, you're just you're gonna do, you're gonna do what you do well the most, and that's why these guys love better as a coach. So yeah, I think he's it's it's kind of the same type of thing from the what I I really like him the most schematically is on the weak side in the later downs when you have Ogletree on the same side because that's his strength as well, and you're you're just you're guaranteed to get a number a one on one matchup if it's the right or to the left and and Ogletree's a real bona fide bona f- threat there. Then if you add in on that sub package, if you add in three tech, the three tech on that side, if that's carry win, then all of a sudden it's like that you're all those guys one of those guys is gonna get through and you're gonna get at least a hurry in my opinion from the weak side if that's what you're looking at.
1: And we'll obviously touch a little bit more on Wynn because I want to get to him, and I know you did extensive uh, work <laughs> on him. Because I, you know, for Win, for me, it's been a, a case of. We'll dive into this right now. First, obviously, we've got to talk about probably the, the most interesting takeaway from yesterday's practice on Sunday. Um, and it had, in my opinion, had a lot to do with what we saw in the game on Friday. And that was Ray Ray Armstrong, the linebacker we talked about extensively on last week's podcast. Taking some first team snaps, he was, on Sunday's practice. He was taking first team snaps, uh, sorry, snaps in the nickel defense alongside Alec Ogletree. Um, in the game against the Lions, he had the interception, where it was kind of a right place at the right time thing. His overall grade from PFF was in the top five among all Giants defenders that game, first in coverage pass coverage overall, any player on the field. What did you see from his, you know, from his tape? And is there a chance that you know, okay, we saw Ogletree struggle a little bit in the one on one matchup against? theoretic over the middle of the field, and he's struggled in training camp. In the practices I've been there, you know, they run a lot of those one-on-one drills with the running back versus Ogletree, and Barkley's really beat him pretty bad, too. Um, and then, obviously, against David N- uh, Njoku in the first game, Ogletree kind of got lost in coverage there a bit, too. So. Is this a situation where you can kind of see them working Ray-Ray Armstrong in because maybe he can be the guy, you know, responsible for the primary matchups when the Giants go man against those running backs over the middle of the field or those tight ends?
2: Yeah, exactly, That's and that's what you're going to see. So I did a fair bit of film work for him over the last, call it two weeks, a little bit of last year and a lot in the third quarter of this past game. And, uh, you know, just kind of starting off in man coverage, really good body control, really, uh, really fluid hips good, good, fluid, athletic movement overall. He looks basically, in both man and zone, he looks like supernatural out there. And I guess part of that, and I didn't realize the background here, but at Miami, he actually played safety. Yeah, And he was 205, so he's 220 now. And First of all, I love the game weight of 15 pounds, but um, the other part of this is he's he's very close to the mold of Buchanan in Arizona. Um, I would almost say he's maybe a little bit more natural in zone coverage than Buchanan is, and that's just because we can, and so many, so many is so good in so as so many other areas. Um, anyway, what I really elsewhere too, what I like his real good recognition. He's been in the league now for what six years, and you're seeing yep. you're seeing him pick up on a lot of things in terms of uh, play recognition, pattern matching, that type of thing. He's very good there, very good at reacting downhill, which so is Ogletree, um, but. I, I particularly see it when against the seam route, and there's a, there was an example on on the third quarter from this past week. You know, he really picks up the tight end well, just just, this, just is able to get in his hip and stay in his hip as that tight end goes north, and that's something that Ogletree has a problem with. So, yeah, what I do see is that what I think may actually happen is if if, if it mirrors what what uh, Betcher's done before, I think Ogletree is going to move to the weak side on third down and um, and uh, Rayway is going to go to the strong side of the stack backer formation, so that primarily will take the tight end if the strong safety blitzes. That's kind of the most important thing. Uh, Betcher loves to to basically take the guy who's covering the tight end and blitz him, and then add and put someone else on the tight end and man and that's the, when Ogletree got burned that was the play that, that, that was exactly what happened uh, in the first week against Cleveland so that position I absolutely think Ray Ray can take that on and and elsewhere in run you know he's very good in run He's he, he likes to get downhill he's very athletic The only concerns I have with him, what I'm really trying to say is why he wouldn't be playing more downs or challenging for these spots consistently, is he just has a little bit of weakness in terms of stacking and shedding and actually getting off blocks. And that's something that we, we obviously know that Goodson, that's like his bread and butter. And so... Uh, you know, I also kind of have a little bit worried with the, with the overall functional strength. He's at 220, but he was a safety. So in ge- in general, taking on a guard, you know, a pulling guard, a big pulling guard, basically the, the another team's Hernandez is going to be kind of a problem, I think, too. So that will limit his snaps, but a very, very effective snaps when he's in.
1: Yeah, but what's interesting to me, actually, Nick, and I'll throw this back to you in a second because I'm curious, is that on the play, so I can definitely see what you mean, where, you know, he's in that stack linebacker position, that play with Joku. um it kind of settles in nicely, but how about the play with Riddick where he kind of came out on the left side of the formation, and really that would be attacking the the weak
2: side inside
1: linebacker. Correct.
2: Yeah, got it. And that's gonna just depend if it's zone or man, okay. um, and, okay. and, and how that how that individual how that play shakes out. And you're right, yeah, it's not gonna be perfect like that, but it's in general that's how they're gonna to want to do it to set up wherever the blitzer is going. He's gonna to move to the other side, right? And a most we know I'm, I'm not say most, probably half the third downs you're gonna see this type of look. Because that's just what Petcher does. <laughs> yeah, it's an, and it's
1: awesome. To me, it's awesome because, you know, people are getting get going crazy. They were about that Alec we give up play. But you know what? That was the only big play the Giants' de- first-team defense, or basically second-team defense, gave up the entire game. So I can take that. And as far as Ray-Ray Armstrong goes, yeah, he's been in the league for six years. Some people were talking about that like it's a negative of some sort. But not to me because he was a guy who needed to find – it. really, he's a guy who – He's a player who is a transit—is kind of one of those tweeners between safety and linebacker. As we obviously know, he played safety at Miami, was dismissed from Miami during the time they were under investigation. And I, I read it today. It was something like—something um, that happened. He wasn't a cooperative enough or something in the investigation, which to me is just garbage anyway. It's not nothing. he hasn't had any problems uh, off the field since. And it looks like, to me, he's finally setting, settling into a nice role in a defensive scheme— and he hasn't actually played before. He wasn't playing this role with the 49ers when the Giants traded for him. Or, I'm sorry, when the Giants signed him off waivers last year. And I think he might be finding his role, which is just something that really stands out to me. Because if he can make an impact, too, on this defense, that's, especially in pass coverage, that's going to be super helpful, um, given the state of the linebackers. And, you know, they tried, to, they, they definitely upgraded that linebacker this offseason. But at the same time, it was starting almost from scratch as far as pass coverage linebackers go. Um, and I also wanted to dive into some of the play. That, I, that really stood out to me of like some of the underheralded defensive linemen. Really, to me, it's kind of come down to really some really tough decisions at the end of August about who to keep on this roster. I mean, we're talking about Kerry Wynn, obviously a preseason hero. We're going to dive into him in a second. But I'm wondering if maybe he's finally found the right scheme to unlock his uh, ability as a defensive lineman, not just on special teams because he's been awesome on special teams throughout his Giants career and really a preseason uh, hero, mostly as a defensive fast rusher um, and defensive end. Kareem Martin. He's somebody who jumped out to me after what I would say is probably a pretty quiet training camp. We haven't heard much from him, but he's he's interesting to me for the fact that when he signed with the Giants, I read that the old Arizona Cardinals regime believed believe that the light had finally turned out for, turned on for Martin last offseason or I'm sorry last season when he was kind of converted from that five tech to the outside left outside linebacker position. And they thought he was just scratching the surface. They did not want to let him go. But a new regime came in, obviously new coaching staff, new defensive scheme, and he was. And they did let him go to the Giants. So that's interesting to me. He finally flashed. Josh Morrow had a really good snap where he shoved the lineman back uh, at yeah. the 13 defense, where he fired the lineman back into the into the quarterback to force an incompletion. So I kind of wanted to dive into all those if we can. I know you did extensive work on Carrier. Win. Do you, let's let's take it one by one. For Win, do you think that? He can finally turn this into more of just a more than just a preseason hero type season
2: yeah yeah definitely and for me i hadn't had the background of following the uh watching the special teams tape so when i first saw the game i was i was getting the, the blood was flowing watching that that was unbelievable that guy can make a lot of plays from a lot of different positions against all types of small players bigger players and i really started reading into his background and and understood that hey he's been doing this for many years and it's <laughs> kind of business as usual for a guy like him which is right. awesome um but for uh the one of the bigger things is you know, just to give the just to set up the background real quickly, I guess everyone's gonna know this, but he, he had a tough time getting any snaps of the obviously with the defensive impairing that that was here for two years with JP, JPP and OV, or I guess it was probably more than two years. Um so when he got time, it was kinda of like put up or shut up in a very, very tough way. And it, you know, he against tackles he doesn't, and his speed to power rush, he kind of runs out of energy a little bit, and he doesn't have that big frame. He's only two sixty five, so when he if he doesn't beat the beat his defense, a tackle from speed from the speed side, he he didn't really have much of a pass rush on tape. What you're seeing more this year, and what's kind of happened, what's really cool with guys like Betcher, is Betcher has moved him inside on the on nickel to on the third downside of the, of the house from when they play, when they run nickel um, to the the three tech defensive tackle, and from there he's lining up primarily against guards. And so most guards in this league, again, the prototypical guard is going to be a little more slow. It's not going to be a dancing bear. He's not going to be a mauler as much so as the tackles. So his smaller size frame will, number one, I think a lot better speed, better speed angles he showed uh, against those guards. And two, his power moves have more of a chance, in my opinion, right. especially, against, especially against some of the guards that, well, particularly Detroit had. Um, as well, too, you've seen a little bit evolving with his violent hands that um, he certainly has had his entire career, but really starting to use them and get good hand position and leverage, almost looking a little bit more like Kareem Martin when he gets engaged where, you know, you can see the influence and the change where you're getting more you're getting more leverage there. He's able to drive more. And the, the guy and for multiple years he's had this, but he's really had a massive motor and that's what you saw in this past yep. game was a guy just trying to win a spot. And that type of heart when you see that, coaches go nuts for that because it's just it, it propelled the rest of the line, I think. And as well, you know, it, it allows him to to kind of do other things within the pass rushing scheme, like you are going to start to see him probably break inside on some things. He's he's been only doing kind of one a, kind of like a one move speed move to the outside. So you'll see his pass rushing moves evolve. I think guys like Connor Connor Barwin and just overall that you are seeing the line kind of pick their game up. That's going to make him better. Um, and yeah, I definitely think that you know we talked about McIntosh being this role this this past you know a few epi- few episodes ago in the beginning of our of our podcast here. And it's tough he can't get on the field, but I think Win can be almost a better version because he has that experience and he understands what it takes to win on the outside as well, which means he, he can be a movable piece all around the puzzle.
1: Right. And that's, that's what they want. They want flexibility on that defensive line, especially if you're in the back end of that front seven battling for a roster spot, which Win essentially is, and that's not really at fault of his, it's that right. they have a lot of depth on this line. And what, it, you know, I know he didn't play a lot of snaps, but I thought he was impressive to me. He at least jumped out to me on at least one snap. Um, and, and I'm talking about Kareem Martin. What do yeah. you think about Martin this week? Because I know he didn't make too much noise in the first preseason game.
2: He was kind of, you know, he was kind of all over the place. The Arizona tape that he had, um, very good athletic player, like you said, mostly playing the five tech position. Played a lot on first and second down when they were in nickel on the outside defensive edge, kind of or, or edge rusher position. Uh, but now you're seeing him in the OLB position in base and kind of all over, you know, and and the edge rusher position on, on third down. Uh, the the bigger difference I think just for him is he's playing a lot better, a lot longer. He's a big, tall guy, and you're really seeing that in the pass rush, particularly long arm moves. I'm seeing, I'm seeing a lot of leverage to the top side and the ability to apply the bull rush from there against stronger tackles. Almost, and again, not to point Win out, but where Win lacked, I think Martin is very good in that regard, and it, it's it's not Vernon's. You know, technique. It's not a lot of guys' technique, and it's something that is a nice compliment on the other side of the line. And yeah, so multiple snaps at that. And and again, in Arizona, he really stood out against the run. I think now he's starting to have a good mix of both run and uh, and pass snaps.
1: Exactly, and this,
2: you, you know, you bring up
1: something interesting when you talk about the length because I actually had a chance to speak with Martin at, at more, after one of the training camp practices, and I said, like, you know, isn't it interesting to see what this length, what the added length of this defense can do? And he's like, "Yep, we're attacking, we're getting after it, and we're going to get a lot more batted passes from having this extra length." And they added so much length on defense. Kareem Martin, six foot six. Obviously, we talked about him. Lorenzo Carter, six foot five, on the edge. If he gets some snaps, if he starts getting some snaps in there. You know, Ray-Ray Armstrong, we just talked about him, but Pat Shermer said after practice, but one of the first reasons he said he's so intrigued by him in this nickel role is because he has the length. So he's another guy with length. Josh Morrow is a guy who stood out to me uh, more so. You know, he had that one awesome snap where he fired back the offensive lineman. He's another long guy, and he's a guy who, to me, has stood out more when I've been there at training camp practice. You know, these type of guys don't always get... (laughs) <laughs> they don't always get write-ups after practice because no one wants to talk about like you know small things you notice when you watch the lines play. But when I when I watch those lines play, I always notice Josh Moore. Of course, he's going against second or third team Giants at this time um, on the line, mostly the second team. But he's a guy who I think could really. Surprise some people um, just based on his length alone. So did you see anything that stood out to you from more obviously besides that one snap?
2: Yeah, besides the one bull rush, didn't notice him a ton, but like you said, okay. he's one of those guys that grinds and he doesn't flash necessarily on tape, but that doesn't mean it's a bad thing because he's super consistent, and he knows how to stay in his lane and all those types of good things and that's why he's here. Uh, right. real, really, really simple. <laughs> yeah,
1: And when you think about it, when you have length on the defensive front and you're attacking all the time, every gap, you're going to be a lot more disruptive in the past game. There's going to be times where I think that people are going to be surprised. And we saw it, too, in that in the game. Uh, Stafford had one ball that was tipped that I thought was close to it. It might have been a fumble, but it actually wasn't. Um, and we're gonna, I think we're going to see a lot more of tipped balls in the line of scrimmage. But we're going to talk about one more defensive line before we move on, and that's Lorenzo Carter. Because what really intrigued me the most about Carter is that I thought if he, he obviously had his sack that was taken away by Mark the. the Helmet rule called on Mark Herzlick, uh, which obviously Pat Sharon was pretty angry about uh, at practice yesterday. He basically said, uh, "I have some choice words for it, but I don't feel like it's necessary to get fined in the preseason." Uh, which was pretty funny. But you know what really stood out to me about that play was that Carter conv- uh, converted power to our speed to power there. Yep. So before this point uh, in the preseason and in training camp, we've really seen him only win with speed around the edge, but. You know, when he, if he can really get a town where he can use his, where he can do that, convert speed to power. We've seen so many pass rushers in the NFL really win, basically, with the majority of their, of that being, the, you know, the majority of their game as a pass rusher. So to me, I thought that was extremely impressive. What did you see from Carter?
2: Yeah, you know, that was uh, that I was gonna basically key on that. I have it right here in my notes, quote unquote, great speed to power rush, and at the time, like <laughs> that was kind of that was the the biggest thing that jumped out. I also did though like him in coverage uh, when they did bleed him off. So what bleed him off? I should explain right. that. Uh, I'm, when he's playing the OLB position in betters, betters team betters defense, he will follow a running back off occasionally in zone or man to the flat. If it's zone or in man, he'll stick with the running back. And he did a really nice job there. So you have an athlete that's used to doing this and that, and yep. in Georgia, that was kind of their, their, one of their go-tos for him. And part of the reason why his statistically, he wasn't kind of off the charts there. Uh, so that flexibility I like, you know, in the run game, he's very good. I think what he still, he, still finding his way there though where you'll see him get much better as he gets more reps where I see him ending up on some plays is kind of in the middle of nowhere and <laughs> you see that with rookies where after time you know their nose for the ball gets way better after three or four games like massively better and I think you'll see that with him he'll be a really effective uh, edge contain player for them this year
1: yeah and that's interesting you, you mentioned that because it really makes sense and adds up to the point where you know Gettleman told Told us after the draft, I tried to call. I called multiple teams trying to trade up for Carter, and a lot of that is because what you said—he has experience not in the same defense as Betcher, but with a lot of the same concepts that Betcher going to ask. Like you said, he made that excellent play when he was out in pass coverage to stop, uh, you know, a, a short pass for basically no yards after the catch. Right. And I think that'll be that'll help him get on the field sooner because he's used to playing with some of these concepts. And and one last thing I wanted to add, because we talked a lot about defensive line, we got a lot more to cover. It's just how impressed I am with the fact that they're not really matching up against bad offensive lines. Detroit added Frank Ragno, and they added back Decker to that line. And they're going to have uh, Taylor Decker, or is it – that's the one – yeah, that, that's the yeah. Ohio State guy that got drafted, right? I always get it mixed up yeah, yeah. with the one who went to the Titans' confident. Okay, yeah. Taylor Decker, and they and they have – they graded out, uh, at least according to Pro Football books, a strong line to begin with last year. And then the Browns have a really good line, too, obviously outside of the left tackle position. Though Batonio has been pretty solid there. So – this is going to be really interesting to me this week when I see this Giants' first-team defensive line against the Jets' first-team offensive line because I'm not a big believer in that Jets' first-team offensive line. So I'm very intrigued if they're if they're looking like this against these offensive lines, how they're going to look against some of the um, bottom half of the NFL. But obviously, we can't go on without talking about the quarterbacks. Um, <laughs> it's, just, it's just how it is right now. I mean, this is going to be a point of topic for until Eli stops playing for the Giants because... Everyone wants to know what's going to happen after the 37-year-old Eli Manning is no longer the quarterback. So they have two guys uh, right now competing for the backup job on Sunday. Pat Shermer said the only reason Davis Webb is listed as a number two quarterback is because the NFL forces me to put out a depth chart during the preseason, which I wouldn't do otherwise. But, I mean, Shermer can say that all he wants. But Webb's taken almost every single snap ahead of Loletta throughout the entire training camp, OTAs, and preseason as well. Um, And as far as Webb goes, you know... We've been harsh on him a little bit, for sure, but there's no way to not say that he was impressive against the Lions' first-team defense on Friday night. 14 of 20 passing, 140 yards, a touchdown, no interceptions. The deep ball to uh, Russell Shepard was, a thing of beauty, I thought. You put that right over his shoulder. Um, the pass to, to Sterling Shepard was, uh, was, to me, even more impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, what stood out to you the most about Webb? And I don't know if you had a chance to kind of at the same time, see anything about anyone who stood out to you on the Giants' first-team offensive line. Um, I know you mentioned to me before you like, you like some things you saw from uh, Will Hernandez.
2: Yeah, yeah. Just uh, we'll, we'll do Webb first because there's a couple of things. Um, absolutely like the improvement, the confidence, the ability to do things with his eyes and uh, within the within structure of the play uh, as he was going back on, the, on those deep balls especially. Any ball over eight yards, in my opinion, he's, he's really good. You know whether you want to start who you want to start measuring up to in the rest of the NFL. The guy needs real snaps in in regular games, but you know in terms of reps, he gives you great reps on balls thrown over eight yards. Um, You know the ball placement there, like you mentioned on that one corner route that he threw to—I forget which Shepherd it was—but the third, the the, 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 the third down one was out of control. I mean, that was just a, a great throw. Those are the very good things. What I do see, though, and I'm not trying to be negative because he's holding himself to the standard, and I know his coaching staff is, but you still see some issues with ball placement on throws under eight yards. On those right. quick hitches, on the one play where it was a, it was a forced route um, or, basic, or a drive route where the, uh, the right-side wide receiver was running like two or three yards up the field and crossing, and Webb sees it, recognizes it, and against Darius Slay, he was able to get the breakup because the ball was just a touch late. He's just a beat off. These are details that he's going to get better on. These are details that, you know, his ability to throw with anticipation. I do think he's going to get better at that um, because he's a guy who's relied on his bigger arm that doesn't that didn't have to do that at a previous level. So you saw that a little bit in the red zone too, where things happen really, really fast. He has to he has to keep his footwork. I think, in the right spot for him to stay on schedule. And you saw it even out of structure um, on the throw to the corner uh, that he had uh, for, for Cody Latimer. I mean, that play really should have been a touchdown. And so that was two parts that were where I was kind of weak. And one part, if you re- really, really re-watch the game and you kind of take a second, it's so hard to watch the game the first time through. It's like almost impossible. Um, but on the third down at the end of the first quarter, I believe, um, Shermer was really mad at the sideline after they didn't convert when Webb threw a quick out to the tight end on the left side. It was a three by one formation. The, the one was on the left side. The lone X was to the left side. And Shermer was like really pissed on the sideline. I didn't notice it, but if you watch it and break it down, the backside of that play is running double slants and the coverage was cover two. And so, the way most of the time, my interpretation of Shermer's offense is the quarterback has to pick a side to throw to. And pre-snap, based upon pre-snap stuff, and based upon what he knows, he wants to throw. And I think Shermer knew that. Hey, those backside slants on the uh, that three out of the three wide receiver set. That's an easy. That's especially for a guy like him. Excuse me. That's an easy first down throw right. uh, against cover two. So he missed that. So what I'm still seeing is a little bit. And you're going to get this with all young players. A little bit sluggish mental processing. You're not seeing it. You, him get to that level yet, where you have guys like Eli, who you know, just after many many years, he's able to pick apart defenses that way. He doesn't have that yet, and that's going to get better. But again, what we're looking for is change in the preseason. As he goes along and gets more snaps, can he do that more? Can he can? He was great on third down, but can he be even better? That's what these guys are looking for because the regular season, this schedule is gonna be very tough, and they need guys ready to play. So, liked what I saw, but but still still a work in progress.
1: Yeah, and you know he was the, to me the most important things that stood out from Webb at least for me were three things. One, he was much more calm in the pocket this game. Clearly, yeah. the nerves had settled down for him. Uh, two. You mentioned the throw to Latimer, which was off schedule. Um, and yeah, sure, Like you know, he has to maybe read that better and, and hit that with anticipation. But at the same time, and I agree, that would be nice. But at the same time, I saw something else on that play. I saw incredible, incredible arm strength that I hadn't seen in a long time from a Giants quarterback. Like His ability to get that ball out there from the angle he threw it at, rolling to his right, basically off of his back foot. Was some really, really, really impressive arm talent, and you know, it, it was a pass interference call. Like it led to that play, yep. which was interesting to me. Um, something I really liked about that play. And then the third thing that really stood out to me um, from from Webb was the was the fact that you know he did this. He 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 was six of six. Are okay. So sorry, It wasn't six of six because the last third down attempt fell like inches short, and then he QB sneaked it for the first down. I'm counting it as six of six. He was really good on third down, and those are the money downs, and those are the most important downs in the NFL, and honestly, the Giants' protection held up pretty well on those downs, too. So, before we jump into Hernandez, anything you took away from the offensive line, I do want to talk a little bit about Kyle Lalletta. For me, what stood out for Lalletta is he was unsettled a little bit early, kind of like Webb was in the first green game. He missed two throws he really has to hit. Um, I believe one was on, actually, the... uh, The vertical route, I think it was a smash route out of the slot. Um, You can correct me if I'm wrong, but it was definitely a vertical route out of the slot. He missed that one, and the second one was also a bit of a vertical route. I believe he was either out of the slot or out of the split end position. But, you know, he missed those two throws. He has to hit those. But he came back right after that with a third and six, and to me showed an excellent job of hanging in the pocket, good quiet feet, uh, keeping his eyes downfield, something you mentioned to me, and that was actually when I rewatched, it, I saw that as well. And then delivering the ball on time with good zip uh, to Gerald Adams for a big gain on third and six. He really has good zip on the intermediate passes. I know he doesn't have the biggest arm in the NFL, um, and just in general, he just really looks calm out there to me. He looks good. He looks interesting in this offense. And to me, what is most exciting about LaLeta is what he will allow Pat Shermer as a pass caller. I'm sorry, as a play caller, because. He has more mobility than any Giants quarterback, yep. he's quick on those bootlegs, and that's something we saw a lot of with Case Keenum in Minnesota. He tailored that offense to Keenum's strength and ability to make plays on the run and his quickness to the outside. Um, so what did you see from Luletta that stood
2: out to you? Yeah, you know, the, a couple of things. The fl- throws that he missed um, against that cover two that was, that was actually a corner route. It was smash-ish okay. the way the setup was, but it's it's— Basically, plays the same from an interpretation perspective, but it wasn't uh, from an actual perspective. Um, what it was weird, you know. You made a great a Little unsettled to, you know, hit, there was nothing wrong in his motion. He just overall looked slightly rushed. And what I saw was a guy who gets into a game and almost thinks that he has to throw the ball harder than he really had to. Um, on some of those throws, you could see him really gunning it, and that's what I thought kind of led to his inaccuracy because his motion and everything was was fine. His footwork was fine. His timing was very good. On that third down play, like you said, actually, Carl Banks actually nailed it uh, in terms of being of throwing with anticipation. The guy was breaking, or even before he was breaking, the ball was out. You know, that type of stuff was really strong. Um, just I just think overall just the game kind of has to come to him, and, you know, he needs a few. What I'm seeing is when he has to throw into tight spaces, his body just has to get used to it. His mind has to get used to it. Overall, the whole he has to do it more, and it's hard because, like you said, Webb's getting a lot of the time, and I think that's the way the coaching staff wants him this year. I think it's—I'm not going to say it's redshirt, but I think for the they don't want him coming into camp and like kind of throwing a lot at him at, all at once because they don't really have to. I don't think, um, and that's kind of the right way to bring him along. So I definitely saw that, and you know, you saw some good things. And the biggest thing that I liked about him, to be honest, from the whole you know throw out the five throws that he had just for a second. The guy's a football player. The guy's a competitor. You can see it on the Gallman touchdown where they're up by a bunch, and he knows he has to make a block. Then you can see him kind of hesitate, knowing that he doesn't want to get hit, he doesn't want to get yelled at. <laughs> so then, but he's still out there running the interference to make sure this guy gets a touchdown. On the scramble, you know, a guy got injured because of a scrambling move of his. I laugh. It's terrible to say that because the, I think the guy's out for the season, the Detroit Lions guy. But it, it was just it was a, it's a nuts to see that. Hey, like like you said, the guy's move. The guy's mobile. The guy's a competitor. You know, I think he's I think he's a guy that you know is going to be able to have some impact in the longer term.
1: Yeah, and I think the best point you made there, you made a lot of great points, or the point that stood out to me, I should say, just because I wanted to touch on it, is that it is a true redshirt season for him, but also for what they don't need to rush these guys along. This is continued development, and I for one was really happy to see them go with just Webb and Laletta and no Eli Manning last week because I think these guys need these live game reps. That's something McAdoo didn't yeah. understand last year and Webb barely played the entire preseason. It just to me it made no sense. This is really where they make their biggest improvement in the live-action reps. It's been at these practices, guys. There's not much going on. The defenders run <laughs> past the quarterback at the defensive ends once they get in. So, I mean, you need these live-game reps. There's no rush here. Eli Manning is going to play, be the starter the season. Knock on wood, but he hasn't missed a game due to injury in his entire career. Um, so... You know, you should really not expect either of these two to play this season um, if, if things go to plans. So, yeah, that's kind of what I saw. And before, you know, before we dive into what you were talking, what we want to get into as far as um, the play calling from heavier personnel that you were asked about uh, with Pat Shermer. Um, what I wanted to ask you first about was you You told me before, right before this podcast, so I want to dive into because so many people asked us about this. What did you see from Will Hernandez in the second game? I know we weren't <laughs> totally impressed with him in the first game, but a lot of people, including myself, are expecting to make a year one impact. So. Right away. So what have you seen from Hernandez when you look back at his tape?
2: yeah the first game I liked it a lot a lot more um, I guess in the PFF grade a couple of people have asked me that too like what was right. the deal with the PFF grade? And I'm like, you know to be honest, I have no idea what what they look at. they claim that they'll be just transparent about it but whatever you know that I don't I disagreed there. This, this game one of the few things we mentioned last podcast that we were looking for continued improvement from Hernandez this game was reach blocks to his right side and he definitely checked the box there a couple outside zone runs to the right where he's got a three tech in front of him that's faster than he is usually. He's got to block him. Now, he was blocking from advantageous positions this time. There were no kind of crazy shifts like the Browns were showing him. But he really did a nice job. And so I liked his mobility to the right. I liked his overall comfortability and pass protection. Actually, I shouldn't jump back to that. Let's stick with the run for a second because on – almost all of his reps, and I want to say 60 60 to 70% minimum at least because I have the film like on my computer, he's, finished, he's starting to finish angrily. And you're yep. seeing that in reach blocks and zone. It's like, wait a second, you don't see that that often from guys like that. If he squares to you or gets a good enough amount of basically your, of, a, of, a defend, of a defender's breastplate or inner, inner, inner half, he's going to bring them to the ground. And that stuff is just kind of fun to watch because the announcers aren't calling that out during the plays, so I didn't really even notice it during the game I thought during, when I first watched the game I was like you know what I don't I don't really see a lot then I watched the film it's like oh my god he's finishing most of yeah. the plays here and and you know I really like too for some reason they were sliding to the left a lot and I think that had to do with Ziggy Ansa being on the right side defensive end against right. Solder which was a little weird for me because I thought that he could handle him but anyway in the three man slides that's why there's not a lot to talk about pass protection wise this game the three man slides he was great um, and really is one of those guys when he doesn't when he's in that kind of zoneish blocking and he's looking for someone he's looking for work it's called he's very good at that he's very adept he's got great hands within that and he just he's a good first strike guy he's an angry first strike guy to have in that position when he's a free man to block base basically and so really like the left side of the line i know everyone's dogging the other side of the line and look that kind of that's gonna that's gonna be part of it um, but I, I, even when i saw the right side of the line if there was only a few kind of key mistakes there was a lot of a lot of good recoveries from the right side of the line for both right. Flowers and, and Omeime, where it's like, Yeah, you know, they had some bad reps, but guess what? Everyone's going to. They just gotta they have to clean yeah. them up a bit.
1: Yeah. Everybody's harping on these bad reps from from Ogletree, from the right side of the offensive line. Well how about the third and seventeen play, uh, where <laughs> Webb hit 3rd she- and Shepard. You wanna rewatch that one and tell me like what the right side of the offensive line did, or how about the you know, when they provided enough time for Webb to hit the forty yard pass to Russell Shepard later in the game and all the other third downs, you know, third and longs that Webb hit. So to me, I'm not harping on that just yet either. obviously, we're some bad reps, but to me that is what it is um and just because you know sometimes we dive into some concepts that you know i I know people have talked to me about this uh outside of the podcast uh that sometimes you know we dive into. We, we throw out lingo that they don't really know so what do you exactly can you just explain real briefly what you mean by the three-man slide uh um, yes stuff, will protection? sorry about that yeah no' or I should. blocking, I should say
2: the pass pro side of the, of the NFL is like this like no one talks about it no one really cares but it's like massively vital <laughs> to every play yeah. it's probably one of the biggest things too for quarterbacks that because uh, that have to call protections and then adjust protections at the line you know it's kind of it's a little and they need a center that can absolutely help them do that uh, especially as they're younger um, so basically, if you have a five-man protection set, uh, the majority of the time I've seen the Giants in man, where it's 1v1, one one, they've got five guys, and they call out and they identify a fifth defender, they call them a mic. And basically, usually, usually the center has the mic, but someone has the mic, and they go five on five, and you, and you work from there. Um, when you start involving slides, it's where you're taking a portion of the line, and you're either sliding them a half a gap or one gap over. So it's like one big step almost like a zone step, but you're going backward in your vertical set, whatever that is. Um, and you're blocking accordingly who you see in front of you. So why would you slide? There's a lot of different kind of, a lot of different philosophies about how you want to set up defensive ends. What you what, what we've seen is when you slide to the right for flowers, he knows that he has helped to his left. So when he blocks, he can almost overextend to his right because he knows he has the help back on his inside if the, if the, if the defender cuts inside. That's kind of like a brief, like general theme of what they would do. So, is that something we didn't see? Oh, okay, sorry. No, no. You off there. no, no. No, no, All good. And we didn't, you didn't see it a ton last year. Um, That's what I was just about
1: to ask.
2: Well, part of yeah. that is because the line overall was bad. And what sucks is, yeah. and, and there's guys that, there's great offensive line coaches that talk about this. When you do the three man slide to one side, the two players on the backside are stuck in man against whoever right. they're up against. And <laughs> forget the offensive line coach that calls this. Uh, that makes this phrase but basically it's like it's like you're being it's like the guard is on Gulliver's Island basically when he's stuck alone with like a bunch of guys jumping around him on that back side of, if the three man slide is on the other side of the field and just what you see is and you saw may get caught a couple of times like this where it's, it's tough because the defender if he goes left if he goes either way you kind of have no help and there's a lot of space around you since everyone else is kind of vacated on their man or to their space on the other side so um, it's you don't generally you want the backside to be able to, to hold up on their own in the 1v1 blocking and the Giants haven't had that for well over a year uh, to be able right. to do that so you're seeing you'll see more flexibility from this line because the overall ability the overall you know ability is higher um but in the end it's it's something where i guess a lot of great offensive line coaches don't like sliding because they believe and a lot of players don't like it either because they want to believe that they can beat their man one-on-one
1: that's fair so that makes a little more sense i hope that cleared it up for anybody who was kind of uh you know taken aback by that or didn't exactly know what it meant so now we're going to transition a little bit um to something that nick wanted to dive into and i was really interested in hearing um so I know you were, you, you can start this one off, Nick. I know you were asked <laughs> a question on Twitter and you, you felt like
2: it was time to dive into it. Yeah. You know, uh, at, gotta, you know, love questions on Twitter. Love instead of like me coming up with my own topics for when I write, love when, when people actually have their own interests because then it's like, you know, I'm not writing for, for nobody basically. It's kind of a lot of fun. Um, and in the end, or that's what it feels like at least as a, as an X's and O's writer. Um, uh, but what, uh, the question was is, you know, within, an offensive scheme on early downs and first and second downs. If you line up in heavier personnel, whether it be one three, uh, 13 personnel with one tight end and uh, sorry one running back and three tight ends, or if it's twenty two personnel with two running backs and two tight ends, those heavier personnel types, you can if you throw out of those um, out of those groupings. Um, you generally have an advantage against the defense for many reasons. Number one, they're expecting run most of the time. Number two, you're, you're usually talking about a base defense, so you can kind of set up matchups how you, how you know you want to with your getting your good tight end against whatever linebacker is their weakest linebacker. And so the question was, how does, how could we expect Shermer to do this this year? And, you know, when I first got the question, I want to immediately say, hey, you know, he's really good at it. And, you know, I have like five examples that come to mind how he's good. What I looked at when I jumped in the data, it was kind of interesting. He's very good when running 22 personnel and passing. Just from a frequency perspective, they don't do it all that often. I don't have the exact statistics right in front of me. It's in my piece, which is over at cover 1.net But basically, out of 22 and 1-3 personnel and even 12 personnel, which you're going to see a ton of, um, Shermer last year, loved to run the ball. And part of that I kind of get into the piece is is I think they, the giant sorry the Vikings back last year found an identity in doing that on first down. So actually, he had the Vikings had more first down rushing yards than any team did last year. What was interesting though, although they had a lot of yards DVOA wise over at Football Outsiders, they were only middle of the road when running the ball on first down. So what you're seeing is overall aggregate yards good, but maybe overall situational effective, effectiveness. Not so good. So, again, I'm not trying to, like, basically question a coach that, you know, took his team with a backup quarterback to the NFC Championship game, right? (laughs) But in the end, what I do think is with this year is you'll probably see some improvement as he self-scouts and realizes that, hey, on first and second down, I should be throwing more out of heavier personnel. You know, is it a massive amount more? No, it's probably, you know, he only used 22 personnel. I think it was 10% of the time. I think maybe even less. Um, So you're not talking about a lot, but when you do it, when he did, it was very effective. And now what we know is coming to the Giants, he has two very effective tight ends that can catch the ball out of the backfield. And he's kind of grooming, you know, a fullback ish to be able to do the same thing. And so what what we did see just to jump into the plays, it was a, it was basically a lot of play action, a lot, a lot of bootleg out of twenty-two personnel. And I think that's what something you'll see with both Manning as well as if there's any other backup type in, you know type player in, because both both guys can do that exceptionally well too. And um, something that you're going to see a lot of sifting tight ends and split ends moving across the field initially blocking and then going to the flat. That was the big, right. the big theme in play action uh, that I saw out of 22 personnel. So many bootlegs where he's putting a three-level stretch. So he's got three guys running across the field from any from multiple angles. Uh, usually a low guy, a medium guy, and a deep guy, and he's got a quarterback bootlegging to the right, and that be basically picking between the the, the the two of them. So not what we saw on like Loletta's touchdown run where that was a naked bootleg to the left, but basically bootlegs right, and where I liked him to kind of do it is to set him up, to set his quarterback up early in the game to make those throws. Um, so that he can basically kind of because they're rhythm, they rhythm throws, but like you saw, he's or like, like we're thinking about, he's he's moving. It's, it, it utilizes his mobility, utilizes the quarterback's ability as an athlete to get into space. A lot of guys like to do that early in the game, and um, so it's something that I actually liked what I saw from from Shermer, but wanted to see definitely kind of maybe a lot more of it last year. Immediately too, just to kind of conclude, a lot of guys gave the pushback, like hey, you know, when you have two good, really good wide receivers. Like you, like you did in Minnesota, and like you certainly do in New York, you he's going to want to do that more, right? Because he's, his basically his wide receivers are better receivers than his tight ends. So that was certainly part of the reason why he didn't feature twenty two and one three as much. But I think, and again, not to kind of point out other teams that are doing it, but if you look at what the Eagles have done with those packages, you know, it's something that I think they want to expand on uh, because they're going to have the personnel to do it. They're going I actually think he has more flexible personnel this year with tight ends like Ingram versus tight ends like Rudolph. Ingram is a much better route runner. So in my mind, it's like right off the bat, I think he's going to want to do these things and and you'll see an uptick there. A few things
1: I wanted to dive into Nick on that excellent analysis. And the first would be um, the, I agree. I think he'll definitely self scout, but I think there's also a flip side to this Nick where agreed where, while the uh, efficiency might not be there uh, according to football outsiders. And I'm sure in general uh, with all the first down runs, it's, It's something where at at times as a coach, I think, you might want to trade in efficiency for identity. And if you're consistently running on on first down and you're building that up, it might actually make the play-action passes even more effective because it's just further ingraining in the defense's mind. We're expecting run, we're expecting run, we're expecting run. And when you you kind of flip that to the other side and you're doing it less and less, it takes away – it takes away the threat, a little bit of the threat of we're going to run the ball almost every first, not almost every, but on the vast majority of first downs. So I think there's a kind of give and take there um, where you don't actually always just go by the efficiency
2: there. And, um, but, and, I and sorry to interrupt, but before we get our heads taken off by the statistical quants out there, the there is no correlation between the running first and early and actually the success on play action. Or is there, amazingly enough, they can't find statistical evidence to show that when you run early in the game that it affects the runs later in the game? All this stuff it opens up a whole can of worms in terms of pass efficiency versus run efficiency. But Dan is making the right point that coaches like Shermer with an offensive line that he's building, which is what he was doing with the Vikings with Tony Sperano as well last year, that he was turning around, when you're turning around an organization like that, Finding the identity and getting downhill can help your team maybe if you're sacrificing the efficiency. So although I understand what the quants are saying, I am actually much more in tune with what Dan's saying and probably what Coach is thinking in terms of where he wants his the team's mindset to be. And so right. just for the defense of the guy saying, like, that's absolutely not true. I get it, but <laughs> the reality... Well, you can
1: go into the statistics of it. I get it. I'm also not making that case myself. But I'm saying you have a brand-new offensive line coming together where clearly they've looked much better in, in, in run blocking than pass production so far. Right. And to take some pressure off of that, you run the ball more. It's like... It's, to me it's it's a concept that again, get it's statistically maybe the efficiency isn't there you're not and even what I said before it doesn't seem statistically like you know if you run the ball early and, and, and more often you'll be more effective on the play action passing game and I'm not here to argue any of that I'm also not here to argue that that it, it's more, it's better to run the football than pass it. I'm not one of those guys <laughs> that <don't> are <laughs> right run out here and spew the, uh, when, you know, when, when, when the Giants ran for 100 rushing yards, they won 31 of 31 games because that's just like the worst stat that anyone ever uses, because obviously you have a hundred rushing yards when you're winning a game because at the end of the game, you're Kinda actually it to run plays. But the point is, I think it really takes a lot of pressure off the offensive line. Um, and the other thing I wanted to mention actually was, was, it's a little bit more diverse, even to me, than just Evan Ingram and Rhett Ellison, because I actually do think that Gerald Adams will get into the mix this season a bit at tight end. We've seen it in the first two preseason games; he's gotten a few snaps with the first team, especially the Browns. After rewatch and just make sure he did get one uh, with the uh, against the Lions, he actually might not have. And I know Shermer was seen on the sideline yelling at him, but when he talked about uh, when he talked in the postgame or actually yesterday's practice Sunday, uh, he said, "Yeah, you guys saw me do that, and I was." angry at the time, he he wasn't sugarcoating it, but he said, Gerald Adams actually bounced back to have a really, really strong game and it wasn't just the catch, you know, from Loletta where he ran a good route and got open and called the ball, he was good as a blocker, and the thing with adams is he entered the NFL so raw out of South Carolina that's why he waited that's why he wasn't drafted into the sixth round despite running a four6 4 with with really good tools and, <laughs> and you know decent tape as a blocker it's because he just didn't his understanding of NFL offenses was just not there we've seen a lot of those mental errors throughout his first three years of the Giants, or first two years of the Giants but if he can clean those up he really does have the talent to really make an impact, I think, at the tight end position this year. Um, So I would keep an eye on him. I wouldn't rule him out totally. Um, All right, so now that we've obviously dove into a lot of concepts, I did want to do a quick rapid-fire, Nick, because there are still things we didn't touch on in the game. I know it's been probably our longest podcast yet, but it was a big game. There was a lot to take away. So I'm going to do a quick rapid-fire of some things that stood out to me. You can jump in at any time. Um, I think, to start, we really can't – finish this podcast without talking about Wayne Gallman. Um, (laughs) Wayne Gallman to me is really, really, really starting to look more and more like a really good late-round find for Jerry Reese. I liked him a lot when they drafted him. To be fair, I also like Paul Perkins a lot. Well, I'm not completely ruling out, so I'm still on the Paul Perkins train, and we'll see if he can ever get healthy again. But Gallman to me was a guy who, who averaged three and a half yards per carry after contact at Clemson, which really stood out to me. And you saw that earlier in the game when he had that run with the first team offense, where he where he cut inside in between the tackles and carried a few defenders for four extra yards. To me, he has really good ability to create yards after contact. He can force missed tackles. We obviously saw that with some of his great cuts, including the 11 yard touchdown run. He has the route running ability. He scored the, you know, he ran a pretty damn good route uh, in the in the red zone to catch his eight yard touchdown pass, where really he created a good amount of separation and enough separation for Webb to throw the ball in the right spot. Some people are saying the throw is behind, but if he throws that ahead uh, the other defensive back who's uh, who's crashing in is going to make a play on it. And he also has short hands. He doesn't drop passes. So he, to me, he has all the tools. He's just missing the 40 yard dash time. And I'm not a big believer that 40 yard dash has much of any importance for the running back position. I mean, it helps have a Chris Johnson who can house it at times, but it's really not as important as the first 10 or 20 yards. Um, so that's a guy I think could really be an actual big and big time find an impact player on this roster. Uh, I'm hoping he moves up to that number two role ahead of uh, Jonathan Stewart. I think that right now Stewart's in that role based um, on, you know, maybe because they signed into a pretty big deal. He's good in pass protection. He you know, he he's a veteran leader and he's expected to kind of have some kind of role after signing. But I don't know what you think, Nick. Do you think do you think that Wayne Gallman should probably take that over by week one?
2: I think he will. I think it'll get into kind of um I think it'll get a thing where they're gonna run they're gonna run three running backs in different in different spots they're gonna they're gonna need the guy they're gonna need not, not to not to just say their bodies but they're gonna need they're gonna need depth at this position so although i do think that maybe stewart is overpaid and from a value perspective there's not a lot there overall i think that the intangible levels alone outweigh his what people are talking about in terms of cutting him or t- or, or trading him i just think it's kind of like you know what like it's really kind of just a one-year thing. On the Gallman side, absolutely, I think he's going to be a strong number two, and it's not just a complimentary piece. I think it could be his own piece. I think that if, again, not to go on the road, I think if the, the Giants drafted someone else at number two, I think that we'd be talking a lot more about Gallman in terms of him being featured. However, it's like yeah, I think it's a good spot. I just think that it's overall too. With you, I think when you see guys like Martin emerge too. Um, and the backfield, you're going to have a, you want multiple pieces there. There's nothing wrong with that. And four good backs is a great way for them to start, especially when they're changing their identity right now.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I'll start by saying that I, I, you know, anyone who's talking about trading or cutting John Stewart just doesn't understand the salary cap really. And I'm not trying to say that in a mean way. I'm just more so trying to say it in in maybe a productive way. With the deal they signed him to, you can't release him because, they're, almost all of the money would be dead money right now. Right. It would affect their future salary cap situation. And as far as trading goes, no one's going to take on that contract. Um, you know, it's just not going to happen. So those two uh, decisions are both out of the picture. But what me and you disagree on is that I don't think this should be a three back offense in the regular season. I think this should be a strictly two back offense with Saquon huh. Barkley and Wayne Gallman. And I'm hoping that Pat Schirmer is able to kind of figure that out as well because there's just, to me, I don't think Barkley should come off the field very often in general. Personally, I think it's just takes away an advantage that you have because he's so dynamic when he's shifted out as a wide receiver, um, and he's so dynamic with the ball in his hands after the catch. But if you do, I'm okay taking him off the field for Wayne Ballman because Wayne Gallman can do a lot of the things that Parker can do. Obviously not as explosive, or nearly as explosive, or anything like that, but he can do all the things we mentioned before. So, And, and yeah, I did like what I saw from Robert Martin, Jalen Simmons. Both of them have had really good, strong uh, running uh, training camps, so it's kind of disappointing when you think about Stewart on his roster, but he was bringing, you know, a lot of people argued with me about this on Twitter. Uh, and I saw some of the beat writers write about this too. You can't measure his the intangibles and the leadership um, and while I get it, at the same time, you could have usually signed Jonathan Stewart at the back end of free agency, in my opinion, uh, to a much cheaper deal. But we'll move on from that. Um, we talked a little bit about how the run games improved, or how the offensive line's improved in the run blocking. Eric Flowers, I mean, you know, he's improving, but I, I, people have to know there's like a limited ceiling for him in pass protection. They're just going to have to do their best to, to make up for that. I thought Cody Latimer showed me something. Uh, obviously, it was only one play, his, his catch over the middle, and a play-action pass. But that wasn't a great ball by Webb, let's be honest. It came out wobbly, <laughs> and it was thrown pretty far ahead of him. He really made an excellent leaping grab there. Great concentration. He had his best catch rate of his entire career last season with the Denver Broncos. Also had highest yards per reception last season. I got my eye on him. I think he's going to help the team more than people realize. Um, I also think that you know this is just going to be a great scheme for these two backup quarterbacks. So I'm not willing to go all in on either of them as a the future successor yet, but the fact that this is a play-action-heavy offense um, really, really will exemplify their underrated mobility and ability also to make plays on, on the run. Um, and that's kind of all I really had. We jumped into all, almost all the other stuff, which was awesome, that I wanted to get to. I mean, the last thing I would say is, Curtis Riley, he got the start of free safety. We didn't obviously hear much from him outside of the blitz that he got picked up on, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, especially when you consider how bad of a, a, poor of a job Giant Safeties did uh, you know, with the angles they took to the ball after the catch last game and that kind of was cleaned up a bit in this game. Um, so, to me, that wasn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, and is there anything else you wanted to add here that we didn't touch on, Nick? Before we sign off,
2: no, no. I think it's you know it's the Curtis Riley points a good point. The guys like me are just dying for the All Twenty Two to actually come right. available in the regular season because it's so hard to follow a free safety when you're guessing where he is half the time. And that's why when you know I don't know how again not to jump in their crap, but I don't know how PFF has any grades of the secondary when you literally cannot see them <laughs> like for yeah, exactly. for me, for like three quarters of the game. I mean, easily three three quarters of the game. So you know I, I think I think that's difficult. Um, and yeah I think it's something that it's going to be a big focus and like you said like you said still a big rotation basically Um, and you know and we'll and we'll see what what game one brings
1: yep all right guys that's all we have for today I know this was a jam packed one easily our longest one but hopefully you'll enjoy it there's a lot to talk about we do plan to get back going on this and get another one up soon on a preview of the Giants Jets game look for that either Wednesday or Thursday I would say the game is Friday night Um, but on that note as always if you do enjoy the podcast do us a favor Go on iTunes, subscribe to the podcast. That is the best way for us to get build this podcast, Subscribes on iTunes. And other than that, you can follow all of my work on Twitter, where I love to interact with everybody. Uh, my Twitter handle is Dan Schneier, NFL. It's D-A-N-S-C-H-N-E-I-E-R, NFL. Um, Nick, I know you can find all of Nick's work on Cover One. Um, you can also follow him on Twitter, where he's breaking down plays on his Twitter account. So, Nick, you want to tell Everyone, where they can find you?
2: Yeah, Team Manic twenty one T M A N I C twenty one. And due to popular demand, I will have a uh, a Hernandez breakdown done sometime tonight, which is Monday night. Beautiful, beautiful.
1: <laughs> Especially because I, I was actually taking. I took a look at your Hernandez breakdown from last week. I know you put up like six plays. I believe it was on Twitter from the Cleveland game. So I'm going to kind of go back, rewatch that, and uh, watch what you do on Hernandez because I, you know, I can view it from my standpoint. I've rewatched. I've so far, I've gone through rewatching all the first team snaps I'm going to get through everything else tonight. But, you know, it's a little bit different from your point of view, so I'm excited for that. Anyway, guys, on that note, we're going to sign off. Uh, Thanks again for listening in, and we'll we'll, we'll see you guys again later this week.
0: This is the story of The One. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently